Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for your love towards us. Your love that is unending, that is boundless, that is unconditional. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your church that you've given us so that we might know you, be known by one another, and live in accordance with your design that is truly for our good, our flourishing, and your glory. Lord, we do pray for our church. We pray for our Shawnee brothers and sisters, for, for Nathan and his family in this season, in this leadership challenge that, that awaits him. Lord, would you give him strength and capacity? Would you allow us in this season as a church to be bonded together in times of difficulty and challenge? Lord, I also pray in this time as we continue to worship you and hear from you through your word that you would form us and shape us as your people. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. It's in the name of Christ, our King, and for his glory we pray. Amen. All right, church, I would like to um, enlist the help of a very special friend of mine, my daughter Jane Kappel, to help me with a sermon illustration. So would you join me in welcoming Jane Kappel to the stage? Now, Jane, uh, it's, it's true that you are my daughter, correct? Yes. Okay, okay, good, good. And it's true that I am your favorite father, correct? Yeah. Okay, okay, you hesitate a little bit. That's fine, that's fine. We'll work on that. Now, it's also true that you don't know why I've asked you to be here. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, lovely. She's a brave, brave young girl. So here's what I'd like you to do. I need your help uh, to do something for me. And that something is to help me shoot off a confetti cannon. Now, I'm at a full, full warning and disclosure. Uh, this might be just a little bit of a loud pop, so if you want to be prepared, you can plug your ears, okay? So, Jane, here's what I need you to do. I'm not, we're not going to shoot it at people, just to be mindful, okay? I'm going to hold that. I want you to hold this part right here, up here on this side. There, there you go, right here, right there. Right, and perfect, perfect. And I'm going to count to three, and we're going to shoot off this confetti cannon. Are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready? Are folks online ready? Okay, here we go. Ready? One, two, three. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, that deserves, that deserves an applause. Okay, now, <laughs> that's, it's still going. That's still going. Now, Jane, really quick, uh, can you pick up every piece of confetti really quick that you just created? Can you do that for me? Thanks, champ. I really appreciate that. Now, as she does this, uh, she should be done by next Sunday. Um, I, here, here's, here's my question for us. Which was easier, church, shooting off that confetti cannon or Jane picking up all of these pieces? Shooting off the confetti can. That's great. Now, Jane, I'm, I, just so I can continue to be your favorite father, you don't have to do this. You can actually go sit. Oh. <laughs> She's my daughter. Did I, did I mention that? Did I mention that? Okay, so, so here, here's what I'm saying. The, the, the point is, it took no time virtually to shoot off that confetti cannon. But the amount of time to clean up this mess is, I mean, just, you can't even compare the amount of time it takes to what it took to shoot it off. So is true with the power of our words. We, we, we don't even fully recognize the power of our words to create a powerful impact, both for good and for evil in our world. How easy it is to say something inconsiderate, ignorant, may, maybe even insidious, and how hard it is to repair those very wounds of the words that we speak. This is even more true in our social media culture that we live in, where our words now possess the power to go faster, to reach further, and to stay longer. 
all the more reason for us to heed the wise, timeless words of what we see in the book of James. We all know the power of words to bring about great beauty as well as great destruction. The old schoolyard limerick, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is so wildly false. Because none of us are impervious to the power of words. Even, even now as, I, as I'm saying this, some of you are very easily bringing to mind the memory of something that someone said to you earlier in life that still haunts you and taunts you to this day. It may have been said three years ago, it may have been said 30 years ago, and yet it still occupies a seat at the table of your memories. And conversely, there's someone in the world out there who remembers the thing you said that was cruel and hurtful. It may have been earlier in life, earlier this year, maybe earlier this morning. We remember the impact of words. We all know the power of words to bring about life and death, beauty and destruction, because we have been the giver and the receiver of such words. And so as we continue together, we're we're in the book of James. If you're new, hi. We don't do confetti cannons every Sunday. That's every other Sunday, typically. Uh, But but what we're looking at in the book of James is what real faith is. And James, who's referred to often as the, the New Testament version of the book of Proverbs, gives us wise instructions and rather convicting message around the power of our words. And so as we sit under the teaching and the authority of the biblical author James, I want us to see this one idea together. Real faith changes how we speak. It's a very simple statement, but one that is hard to live into. Real faith changes how we speak. Now, because of the way that James writes, if you're familiar with his letter, James kind of like will introduce a theme and not finish his thought, then return to it later. So we're going to be in chapter 3, we're going to jump a little to chapter 4, and then back to chapter 1. So James writes letters the way I tell stories, like totally out of order and wildly repetitive. That's, that's kind of what he does. Uh, so if you have your Bibles open, turn to James chapter 3, and the first thing I want to bring our attention to, that James brings our attention to, is the power of our tongues. The power of our tongues. And James does this by illustrating and giving us three metaphors of how the tongue is small but has a large impact. But before he does that, he makes mention of how the struggle to manage our words is a struggle that every human experiences. Which is why he says in verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body. So James goes so far as to say that the one who is perfect, the the one who is able to control their words is perfect. And this this is a profoundly impactful statement because it's revealing how profoundly impactful our words are in our lives. And and James reiterates this to show the power of our tongues, the power of our words. He gives us three metaphors. He shows that the the tongue is like a small bit in the mouth of a large horse. It is like a small rudder, relatively speaking, on the back of a large ship. And it is also like a small spark that ignites a large fire. And so you see the contrast of the small item having a large impact. And as I was studying this text, and I was looking at these metaphors, I couldn't help but bring to mind a scene from the movie Men in Black. Just, just go with me, okay? So, like, so in this scene, Will Smith, who's this agent who's uh, trying to protect planet Earth from violent alien life forms, he is finally given a weapon. 
to ward off these enemies. And the weapon is the noisy cricket. It's the tiniest of weapons, but it has one of the largest impacts as evidence in this scene. Take a, take a look. I, I think if James were alive today, he, he, would, he would put the noisy cricket in this list of metaphors. Something so small and insignificant that has a large impact, both to do great good, but also great evil, and an impact that affects us as well. Our words may come from a small part of our body, but they possess great power beyond what we fully realize. And notice, up up until this point, James has given no moral claim about our words yet. He's just simply communicating and making clear the power of our words. He is simply making it aware that although it is small, it possesses great power. So here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company or if you are a first grader. Each and every one of us possesses a power to bring life and death into this world, to speak words of beauty and destruction. As the Old Testament Proverbs so wisely declares, Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. This is a verse that I think virtually no one disagrees with. We recognize the power of our words to bring death and life. Within each of us lies the latent power to bring about life and death. And perhaps no other time in our, in our lives are we made more aware of this than in the wake of something like suicide. And, and some of you may be aware of, of the tragic incident that took place. There was, there was a freshman in high school at Olathe East who took his life in recent weeks. There's a tragedy beyond tragedy. And it weighs on us. Even if you don't know the family, it weighs on you. And undoubtedly, in the wake of these moments, we ask the question, what happened? What what was said to this young man? What what led him to believe that this was his only option moving forward? And while I don't know the details of his story, what I do know is that words were involved. I, I don't even need to know the details to know that words in some way were involved. Because words possess power. And and friends, if we are not aware of the power of our tongues, then we will easily find ourselves on the slippery slope releasing the poison within our tongues. And that is exactly where James goes. He's he's building this case. Our, Our tongues, our words possess power. And if we are naive to that, we will most likely fall down the path of releasing the poison in our tongues. And this is where James focuses It's a very convicting section of this letter, but it's one that we must understand. He first shows the power of our words, and then how that power has within it a potential poison to do great harm. So look with me at chapter 3, verse 6. James says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body and setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. That is, that, this is profound language. J- James is not trying to e- evoke kind of a, an emotional response. He's communicating a truth the, about the power of our words. And what he's basically saying here, it's kind of a converse statement uh, of, of the truth that he said earlier about how one who, the one who is able to control their tongue is able to control their whole being. In the same way, when we lose control of our tongue, we find that it stains our entire being as a result of sin. Our words possess great power, and if we are naive, it will unleash a great poison into our lives and the lives of those around us. 
Dr. Tony Evans, uh, in in his book, Watch Your Mouth, uh, communicates this very principle, that the power of our words, and in fact, notice how he mentions where the source of our true enemy lies. He says this, your greatest enemy is not in your home. Your greatest enemy is not your job. Your greatest enemy is not that person at church who gets on your every last nerve. Your greatest enemy is in your own mouth. The three-inch muscle in your mouth has more power to destroy your life and do it quickly than anything or anyone else. That, that is not just an exaggerated hyperbolic statement. It is absolutely true, and we know it experientially, but we also, we also know it biblically. I mean, as you, as you look back at the origin story of human sin, how does sin enter the world? It comes about through words that come straight from hell. Adam and Eve are tempted and deceived through the, not, not through manipulative power or through some kind of emotional coercion, but through a slithering tongue that feeds lies into our minds and hearts and leads us to respond. Friends, how much evil, how much pain and destruction and division and hatred are in our lives as a result of, of poisonous lies and destructive words that we have said or that others have said. As followers of Jesus, we must see and have a keen sense of what it means that our words possess a poisonous, destructive nature. And we must see also that real faith changes how we speak. If we are to be a people who take seriously the claims of Christ, and that to believe in the gospel transforms our lives, then it should transform the way in which we speak. And that means we need to be intimately aware of the kinds of poisonous words that we can speak and often do speak. Now, James mentions, he mentions a couple different ways in which our words are poisonous. He, he talks about cursing in verse 9, and then when you go to chapter 4, verse 11, James says these words, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But notice, this is, this is so important, notice where James places the priority of the offense, our, our offensive, the, the offense of our words is not primarily in the impact or harm that it does to others. It's no less than that. The impact is on the violation of the holy law of a holy God. That's where James goes. Before our poisonous words are an attack on others, they are first and foremost an affront against God. Which is why in chapter 3, James shows and makes the, the point that, that the cursing words towards others are wrong in and of themselves, but primarily because they are a form of vandalism against the image of God imprinted upon those people that we're speaking against. Look with me at chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Referring to our words with our tongue, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. So this is first and foremost why our sinful words are are seen as destructive. This is the primary reason why our sinful words of deception, of slander, of gossip and malice about others are evil. They are evil first and foremost because they are an act of defacing the image of God imprinted upon all people. And so if we want to have a high view of others, if we want to learn how to tame and control and and manage our words and our tongues, then we need to have a higher view of God. 
I can give you some suggestions on how to kind of control our tongues in various ways, but until we have a high, glorious view of the creator of all things, who is worthy of our praise and worship, we will not fully know how to use our words to be life-giving. The God whose image that is imprinted upon each and every human being endows them with unquestionable worth and undeniable dignity. And if we don't believe that, if we do not understand it, it does, if it doesn't move from the theoretical, uh, theological realm into the functional way in which we live, we will find ourselves denying the power of our tongues and bringing out a poison that is so destructive. To put it more pointedly, when we speak poisonous words to others, even in small ways, we are in small ways denying the existence of God. Because here's what we're doing. When we functionally claim in those moments that it's okay to deceive someone, it's okay to slander this person, to gossip about them, whose image of God they bear, what we're saying is that God isn't all that important. It's okay to deface this image of God in this person because God isn't all that important. And to claim that God is not all that important is to deny his existence for he is the supreme being in all of existence. Again, this is why James unequivocally says, brothers and sisters, from, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. This ought not to be. So, okay, so we hear that. So, so, so now what? We, we see kind of the impossibility of our, of, our, of our power within ourselves to kind of tame our tongues. I mean, James tells us in verse 8, that this ought not, or sorry, uh, earlier, that it ought not to be. But he also says in verse 8, these words, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So if that's true, what can be done about the power of our tongues? What can be done about our poisonous words that bring about destruction around us if no human can tame the tongue? I mean, J- James is saying, like, every beast of the field can be tamed, but no one can tame the tongue, which what that means is James is saying it's easier to be this guy than it is to be kind. That, that's what that means. And it, j- just let that sink in for a bit. I know this is a bit like kind of an extreme statement, but think about that. James is saying it's easier to tame a wild beast than it is the tongue within our mouths. So we've seen the power of our tongues, the poison within our tongues. But as we turn back and hear James's words in chapter 1, I believe we will find what James gives us as the prescription for our tongues. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip back, scroll back, swipe back, whatever, to James chapter 1, verse 19. I'm going to read verses 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every, every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, can we, just, can we just agree to do this? <laughs> like just, I mean, just like, like, as simple as that statement is, can you imagine what your home would look like? What your relationships would look like? What your marriage, your friendships, your schools, your place of work, our church for crying out loud, if we consistently, faithfully, and from a place of real faith were a people who were quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. Real faith changes how we speak, but it also changes how we listen. And so even though we can't tame our tongues, 
We cannot control them. I, I do believe that there is a sense in which we can at least train them in some way. And, and one of the ways that I think we can train our tongues is by working out our ears. As the old adage goes, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. You should listen twice as much as you speak. You've probably heard that before. And it's absolutely true. We are so eager to be understood without first understanding. We are so interested in our opinion being expressed than we are to understand the person who is speaking to us in this moment. James, as I mentioned, is often referred to as the the New Testament version of the book of Proverbs because he offers such wise, practical guidance for how to live life best according to God's design. And I have to believe that as James was penning these inspired words by the Holy Spirit, that some of these Proverbs were coming to mind for him. Proverbs 29, 20 says, Do you see someone who speaks too soon? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Or 10, 19, When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. And then I think one of my favorites, verse 17, 28, Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. <laughs> I love that. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. Which my paraphrase is, If you aren't smart, try shutting up. Like, just, just give that a go. And, and so, so here's the thing. Like, we, we have to see the wisdom of, of words and how we listen. And, and, and if wisdom is not going to be helpful for us, maybe we can get a hold of this weapon. This was something that uh, Pastor Ben Lohr sent me. Uh, the Navy has designed a weapon that prevents people from talking. It basically, like, recreates your voice and echoes back to you what you're saying so that you can't even have an intelligent conversation which I thought was really interesting. Maybe we can just pass these out. But then Ben said, we could also give them to people at church in case your sermons go too long. I was like, Ben, no, no. But it was, it was pretty funny, actually. But, but if we don't have access to this, if it's not in the budget, uh, perhaps what we need is to live into the wise design of life that is revealed for us in the scriptures. A wise life of real faith knows what to speak, what not to speak, when to speak, and when not to speak. So in light of this timeless wisdom of Scripture, let me, I want to offer us some, some guidance, some practical wisdom for us to live out a real faith that changes how we speak. And the first, and it's rather simple, is to learn to listen. I mean, you probably knew this was coming. Like, like yeah, yeah, I got this one. Next, next let's move on. That was a joke because you're not listening. Yeah, you got it, you got it. We need to learn to listen. We need to be willing to understand so much conflict So much tension and misunderstanding and division in our lives is the result of our failure or our refusal to truly listen well. Sin and foolishness and trouble abounds and is made manifest in our lives when we are quick to come to conclusions. I mean, even as something as simple as when when we skim emails and then respond quickly. I mean, how many times have you responded to an email by just skimming it and you miss very important details and either upset someone, uh, create confusion? I think sin and foolishness abound when when we share something online without seeing if it's true or whom it might impact. I think sin abounds when we receive feedback or criticism from someone who's trying to offer us a good word of, of improvement, and we respond defensively without trying to like, understand, is there any validity to what this person is saying to me? I think sin and foolishness abounds when we hear our kids fighting in another room, and we rush in, and we respond yelling in anger without fully understanding the facts of the situation. That comes straight from the Kappel household, y'all. When we respond so quickly without understanding, sin and foolishness abounds. 
When we hear gossip at our school and we, we pass it on without trying to understand the true story or who this person is. When we listen for buzzwords in a conversation, instead of trying to know this person and where they're coming from and why they have the views that they have, instead we just listen for certain buzzwords so that we can easily and quickly just categorize them and say, oh, you said this, you're nothing more than this. We are so quick to speak and so slow to listen. Would the Holy Spirit make us a people who are able to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. So we need to learn to listen. Secondly, we should think before we speak. And, and, and this is a, similar to what I just shared, but I want to give some, some nuance to it. This is, th- there's this kind of practical handle that you've probably heard this before. Think is, is, an, is an acrostic. And I remember using this early on in my youth ministry years and kind of forming young people to think about our words before we speak. And it turns out adults need them as well. And so, so this may be a helpful kind of uh, rubric or filter to kind of look through your words, or look at your words through. And so ask yourself before you speak, is what I'm about to say true? Is it helpful? Is it insightful? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Now, I, I know this is something you probably have stitched, you know, on a pillow somewhere in your house or your grandma's house or whatever, but like, but here's the thing. This is such a wise rubric for us to consider. Is it true? Do I have all the facts Have I truly sought to understand? Is it helpful? Will this be of any benefit to this person or to others? Is it insightful? Will my words shed light or will they simply add heat to this conversation? Are they necessary? Does it need to be said now or ever? And is it kind? Do I have this person's best interests at heart? And as a side note, saying kind things is not the same as saying nice things. It is also not the same as avoiding saying hard things. We live in a culture where I think we've equated niceness and kindness. Niceness is simply just being agreeable. Niceness is not a fruit of the Spirit. Kindness, on the other hand, in fact, our our, our staff, we heard a talk recently by Southeastern Seminary Professor, uh, Dr. Karen Swallow Pryor, and she was talking about kindness. And she mentioned how kindness, the, the word is rooted in the word kin, of family, Kindness is the way in which we treat people as family. Kindness is not the absence of saying hard things. It is the presence of words that love like family. And family are to say hard things to each other in love. And so just because someone calls you out, just because someone holds you accountable, just because someone challenges, or, or challenges you or exhorts you, or or rebukes you, it doesn't mean they're being unkind. In fact, they may be being very kind. They may not be being nice, but kindness is not niceness. So we we need to learn to listen, think before we speak, but lastly, we need to receive the word. We need to receive the word. All of this, all of what I've shared, this could be just a nice TED Talk. It's helpful, it's maybe practical. I've got some handles of how to kind of engage in conversation with people who I might disagree with, but, but friends, none of this will bring about any kind of lasting change or impact in our, word, in our world if we fail or refuse to receive the word of God implanted to us that has the ability to save our souls. That is exactly what James says in verse 21. If we only have James 1, 19 and 20, we've got great wisdom, great practicality, but it is only addressing symptoms. We need to keep going in verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness 
and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Learning to listen and thinking before we speak, they can help train our tongues, but they cannot save our souls. These these practices only address the symptoms, the, the surface level issues of what we face in our life. They will not and indeed cannot be the remedy to the source of the problems of our life, of the words that we speak that set things on fire with a hellish fire. Real faith changes how we speak. Real faith shapes and forms every aspect of who we are. It shapes and forms our words only because real faith comes from the one who is the word of God. And so if we want to be a people who learn to bring a sense of training to our tongues, to speak words of life instead of death, we need to be a people who receive the word, the one who is the word of God. Our only hope of being rescued from the fires of hell within us and that await us as a result of sin is receiving Jesus, the word of God, who is able to save our souls and to give us new life now and forever, which is why in the gospel of John, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In John's gospel, there's a constant theme of making Jesus similar and equated with the word of God The ways in which we find a healing and a remedy to the things that plague us is receiving the word implanted to us that is able to save our souls. Church, our goal is to not become nicer people who say nicer things to make the world a nicer place. Real faith changes how we speak, but it's because real faith changes our hearts. So friends, we have all hurt and have been hurt by the words of others. And we also know, we've also been blessed and uplifted by the words of others. But it is our sin that stains our words, that stains our thoughts, that stains our deeds and our desires. And the only way we can find real healing and change is through the real faith in Jesus, the word of God, the son of God, who has come to speak a new word over us that has the power to save our souls. This is more than just mere wisdom about how to speak kindly. It is about being humble enough, quiet enough to hear Jesus say to us, I am the word of life that has come to give you life. Would we be humble enough and quiet enough to hear and receive Jesus, the word of God? Amen? As we continue in worship, I I want us to, to practice what we preach. And I just want to give us a moment to be silent. I, I think that is a practice we need in our world and culture. And so, so I want to just give us a minute just to be silent before the Lord. And so you can, you can reflect, you can be silent, be still, you can pray, confess. If you want to just simply be, that is okay. But, but let us take a moment to be before God in this space and ask him, would God make us a people of real faith who are quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger? So let's pray and be in silence together, and I'll close this in a minute.
Holy Spirit, we ask that you would in this time bring a sense of proper conviction to our lives. As a result of the words that we have spoken, would you bring to us an ability to turn and repent of our sins so that we might pursue righteous deeds that honor you and bless our neighbors? Lord, would we feel the tension that words of cursing and blessing ought not to come from the same source? May it not be so of us. Lord, I ask that you would bring a sense of healing and forgiveness towards those of us who have used our words to destroy. Lord, would you bring a sense of healing and restoration to those who have felt a sense of destruction to their lives as a result of words spoken to them? Would we be a people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry? And would that come from a place in which you have displayed that towards us? Or would your steadfast love, would your long-suffering and patience and mercy towards us be the source in which animates our ability to love, care for, listen, and speak words of life, beauty, and truth into those around us? Lord, I pray for those outside these walls that they would be touched and impacted and that life would come through the words that you give us to speak, flowing from the truth of the word of God, the Lord Jesus. May it be so. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.